God's goodness is the topic of many Christian books, cliche sayings, and Bible studies. But what about when life is full of hard things that don't feel good? What happens when good beliefs crash into bad circumstances? How is God always good? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Chamber, and I thank you for this evening that we get to have together. I pray that you would um, watch over our conversation, that you would just give us the ability to talk about what you have done and to focus on all of the great things that um, you have provided for us in life, even when life is broken and hard. I just pray that you would help us to be uh, faithful with our testimonies and kind with our words. Lord, I just thank you that you are you're in control and you know what each of us needs today and tomorrow and going forward. Lord, I just thank you that you are a provider and our teacher. And um, I just pray for all who get to listen to this podcast, Lord. May they be encouraged, inspired, uh, challenged, um, and may they want to go forward to be better disciples um, for you and uh, lovers of you. So God, we just extol you and um, we ask you to be here today. Amen. Welcome to the Always Good Podcast. I'm Emily Jane, and today I have the privilege of talking with Chamber Flory. Chamber is a singer and songwriter. She is also a photographer, certified physical trainer, leasing specialist, and an advocate for foster families. I'm telling you right now, this woman is incredible. <laughs> today we are talking about God's goodness in the midst of brokenness. I don't exactly remember when I first met Chamber, but I have really enjoyed getting to know her more throughout the last year, especially. Something about COVID has made having intentional conversations just so much more meaningful to me, and I've loved hearing what God is doing in Chamber's life as she's ridden different waves throughout the last year. So, Chamber, thank you for being here. Yes. I know you are a busy lady, and I super appreciate your time. She's 40 days away from her wedding, Yay! so lots going on. Um, while this year has been full of evidence of our broken world, brokenness is not new to you by any means. Can you share a little bit about your early life and what that looked like? Yeah. Um, so I always like to say my early days are times that no child should ever have to endure. Um, you know, most kids, they they hang out with their friends and maybe they'll go to the movies or play at the park. But for me, um, common things were sirens and ambulances and fights, weapons, drugs, prostitution. Um, and it kind of was like normal for me in a lot of ways. Um but it was very damaging. I think I often try to just pretend life was great and didn't really think it was something that I should be removed from. Um, but inwardly, I, man, I was so neglected both emotionally, but like even physically of like love from like my parents and like proper social life and education. It was just a big mess. Um, so I have two siblings. Um, I have a, they're both younger than me. And, um, we actually were all adopted in the same family together, so that's super cool. And, um, yeah, I was removed when I was five, almost six, and went through a series of, they're called angel homes, which is like foster care, um, except they're more temporary, so I could be at a home for a day, or I could be there for two weeks. Um, I don't even know how many homes I bounced through, but I would say easily 10, and it was so exhausting, because like I had an idea of why I was being removed, but you still God created that like co love connection right between the mom and the child and so like I understood but I'm like I but I still want to go back home with my parents and um that so while bouncing from home to home I would be confused like okay cool this is my new home not understanding it was very temporary and then 
from a young age going through those angel homes, I felt like that's what bred like my insecurity and feeling like what's wrong with me? Like, was I not good enough? They didn't love me. Why can't I stay here? Oh, it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. Um, and that's kind of how I processed even like the abuse that I went through, like the sexual abuse from my birth dad or the neglect. Um, it's like, oh, it's my fault. Um, this happened to me because I wasn't good enough or I wasn't pretty enough or I wasn't um, uh, behaving. And so um, it's just it, through those angel homes, it just started to breed more and more of all these lies um, that the enemy had me. And then eventually I was adopted with my two siblings. So what was the process like? moving from the angel homes to the Flores home? Um, Did you know that was going to be somewhat long, longer term? No, I okay. have no idea. It's Once you're in the system as a kid, you have no idea what's going yeah. to happen. It's just, okay, cool, I'm being dropped off at this really nice home and they have a pool and life's exciting and then two days later, your social worker shows up and you're on to the next home. And so there was so many unknowns. Um... I actually ended up at a um, foster home and I was there for nine months and about halfway through I was actually told I was going to be adopted by them. Um, they had asked me, they told me about this, they started the whole paperwork process, um, but my other two siblings were actually at my existing home now. and. Um, the system is definitely in favor of keeping sibling groups together if there's a family that wants to take all of them. And so the foster home I was at wasn't interested in all of us. They just wanted me. And um, my existing home that I was adopted into said, we'll take all three of them. And so it, the judge was in favor of keeping us all together. But at the end of the day, the foster family I was with had already started the process of adopting me so it was really between those two families hey you guys can work this out um and keep it as is or you can give up shamber and place her with her other two siblings um and so it was kind of cool this other um foster mom she actually is a christian and i still call her aunt to this day and uh they both kind of went to prayer warring like i'm gonna go and pray about the matter and, and my mom was like no i'm gonna go pray and ultimately um she felt led to give me up and um place me with the flores and um that like it sounds glamorous like wow we all got to be together but i was not happy to, like i could have cared a less to be with my two siblings just because like it was a rejection now it's mm-hmm. like quadrupled here i've been placed in a family and not only just a really fun place i had actually been verbally told right. that i was going to be adopted right and so now it's like whoa 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 you promised me we were planning this extraordinary day you got me nice gifts i had my own bedroom and now you just ripped me away and so what should have been exciting was just a catastrophe and so I actually fell into just such depression for a couple of years and again wrestling through what did I do wrong and they didn't love me and so um yeah oh my word it was such a conflicting time (laughs) well foster care serves a purpose it's by no means a perfect system foster care is rough it's brutal on everyone involved but no one gets the brunt of it like the kids do pretty much everyone working in the case gets to choose to be there except the kids people can quit or move on but the kids have no choice um you've talked about your anger and questions and the frustration that was building on the inside a little bit but 
you also have shared before how you needed to kind of feel like you could put on a happy face and seem strong on the outside. What do you think um, that bearing your feelings made you feel? Was it like more accepted or just kind of like fit in finally? It wasn't so much. Well, okay. So that came later in life with wanting to fit in. I think as a kid, it was almost like I'm going to pretend none of this exists and I'm a normal person with a happy life with normal parents and don't have all these difficult struggles that some people don't ever go through in life um and so it was kind of like a coping mechanism of just like my life is really great and so i really tricked myself into like this utopia world like everything is well um it didn't really hit me to like put on this facade so i would fit in probably until i was about middle school um after adoption, I went to public school for sixth and seventh grade, and I was super excited, but really quickly realized how different I was from the other kids. Uh, not only was I probably one of the only colored girls there, but um, everybody I felt like just had this perfect life, um, which again, lies, <laughs> yeah. um, but I was just so convinced, like, I'm the only one here that's gone through this abuse, this neglect. I've been going from home to home to home, and these kids have only had one mom and dad, and so I just felt so displaced, and some of the kids actually knew, and they didn't, like, directly bully, but they would make some remarks. I had some names that were just really sad um that people would call me and so it was just like this whole thought process of I'm like I'm just a nobody or I wish I grew up in this perfect home with the rest of these kids and so just striving to almost replace my existing life and forget about my past so we got to this point where I wouldn't even tell people I was adopted um which was kind of silly because obviously I looked nothing like my parents um but like when people would ask me about my story, like I would not tell them I was adopted. I would just skip over that part. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad to see how the enemy tricked me into believing that my testimony of like adoption and being adopted into an awesome family was like terrible when really God wanted to be glorified through that. So when did you find out about your adoption? Like, so you had learned that you were going to be adopted the first time and just trying to picture that as you said you were six or five or six, seven. seven. Okay. Yep. Trying to picture that as a seven year old, you have finally like some permanent planning and some stability, some hope, and then that gets totally changed on you. Um, what, do you remember any of what that transition would like or how that was? Was it just kind of like sprung on you? It, it was. Okay. Yeah, it really was sprung on me. Um, I don't mean to go backwards. I, I just know. No, it's not. Actually, it was so silly. So I actually remember the exact day we went to Uncle John's Cider Mill. And that's kind of was like the handoff process um, or like the last visit between both sets of families before the, the pass off. And I remember I had like my stuffed dog and I... It's like I understood what was happening, but emotionally there was such a disconnect. Like, is this really happening? Because you just told me you love me and you're going to adopt me. And so I remember then on the way to the Flory's house, I just remember closing my eyes and trying to, again, dissociate, um, not have this utopia world be dragged away. Because at this point, honestly, being brought to this other family's home, um, they it was an awesome house, big old yard. I mean, it seemed just perfect for um, a six-year-old going on seven. And so on the way to the Flory's, I'm just closing my eyes, trying to smell the foster dad's cologne and just really reminiscing, like, I don't want to let this go. And being dropped off, watching them drive away, and 
I remember being tackled by all the kids there and my two biological siblings and I just was not having it. I'm like, this yeah. is not a happy moment. Like for you, this might be happy. Mm. But for me, it's like, no, the, what should have been like a loving fuzzy feeling moment was definitely not and so it was just unpleasant I remember really starting to act out I was lying every day um, just being ah, just so deceptive taking people's things shifting the blame on other people um, yeah just acting out which was my way of like putting up walls between me <laughs> and other people so that way they wouldn't see the hurt I was battling with so yeah so what was life like then after that move and how did God bring you to the point of not being identified by brokenness Oh man. So it it's not something that happened overnight. I think sometimes people think um that when there's a transition in someone that like, oh, they just went to this camp and they came back and everything was perfect after that. Um the kids were left to Christ and it's not. It was definitely many years where I could fully say like, wow, I have jumped the hurdle of of brokenness but um i guess the big turning point um i was 13 and uh, my dad had said he wanted to take me and my two sisters to a father-daughter retreat and uh i remember going really excited for the wrong reasons um you know it was a really fancy sort of ordeal so you had to wear like fancy dresses and there'd be tea parties and just something super fun and so I got excited um for all the extracurricular things not really the sermons and everything and so I remember going and instantly being taken back by how the girls there just behaved with their dad now that was really foreign to me because having been through sexual abuse I would I didn't really have a sense of like proper love and trustworthiness towards my new adoptive dad just because of the sexual abuse I'd undergone. And so I remember thinking it was fake and like, no, there's no way, there's no way that they feel safe and love their dads that much because I don't. And um, over the course of the next couple of days, I'm just watching them dote on their dads. And I'm like, that's really attractive. I want, why can't I be like that? Why can't I feel like safe in my dad's arms like that? Um, so, I remember going back home and trying to replicate that, even down to, like, I'm going to dress up and I'm going to be super respectful. <laughs> um, that's just going to change me. And um, that was not it. <laughs> and uh, that is definitely not salvation. And so I remember just getting so tired and almost annoyed. Like, what the heck? I just tried doing what these girls did and it did not work. I knew they were lying, right? Um, and I remember this breaking point. I had uh, my parents old bedroom because we had an addition on our house and us girls took over their old bedroom and um, I remember just sitting in there and reminiscing on seeing my mom have this relationship with the Lord and just how much it had changed her and she had this walk-in closet and I knew as a kid um, she'd always pray in there because I'd always go by the door and I'd hear her praying and I just was just so remarkable to hear her talking to someone that was so tangible and it just boggled my mind Um, but yeah you could feel the peace. And so I remember now having that same closet going in there and just, I turned on a Carrie Jove song. I'm not alone. I remember it so distinctively. And my little red MP3 players yes. back when MP3 players were cool. And um, yeah, I just started crying. It just really hit me that 
I have to lay this at the foot of the cross, just like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress. This burden is so heavy. I'm just depressed. I don't trust anyone. Um, I'm lashing out in anger because of bitterness and I'm feeling neglected. All these things I have to let go. And um, definitely those burdens fell off my shoulder, but it took, I would say, a solid two, three years before I really could cultivate trust for my dad, before I really could feel confident um, that God hadn't messed up, right? He hadn't messed up because I was adopted or I was abused. It all was a part of his plan. So it's interesting what you're talking about trying to put on the clothes and have that change you. I feel like so much of my life I tried to produce fruit mm. that I yeah. like I tried to show people like look this is the fruit I'm producing. Right. But like there was no roots or no tree. It was just like empty nothingness yeah. and I felt the disconnect. Like I felt that okay this is just clothes. Like it's not right. actually changing me and I right. wanted it to be changed but it is like you do have to start with okay, what has been done already for me at the cross? It's not about what I can do. It's about what has been done. And then to see what Christ does through that is incredible. Um, So what did you start to see? Like, what were some tangible things that you started to see as being different with like your dad and your family relationships? Um, That God did. (laughs) That God did. Yes, thank you, God. So definitely... um, First things first, um, I just had this realization, oh my word, I have just been using like idle words and a lot of them have been void of meaning. So for example, saying, I love you dad, just saying it, but not really meaning that, not even knowing what that word meant. So I remember so distinctively one day walking into my parents' room and putting my arms around my dad and it, it just hit. I said, dad, I love you. And he looked at me like I was weird and, okay, I love you too? And I said, no, 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 no. I really love you. As in, I feel safe with you. And I know that this, you're the person God put in my life to protect me and provide. I mean, I really love you. Um, That was definitely one of the first things that just clicked. Um, Another thing was because of the abuse I had undergone, I vowed at a young age I was never going to get married. And um, so many people would laugh. Oh, you're so beautiful. You're so nice. You would be such a nice wife. Have cute kids. You know, all those silly things people say. And I remember being so angry. They didn't understand what I had been through. They have no idea the pain. And I feel filthy for being abused. And I'm broken. Who would want me? I'm defiled. And so definitely the first couple years was just this reforming of my identity and thought process of, wait a second, I think marriage is a good thing. And what God intended for a man and woman and procreation and to go out and make disciples, that's all part of his plan. And it's Mm -hmm. good. Um, And so it, it was just removing these walls I'd placed up in my life of just saying boldly, marriage is bad and and I don't want to do this and all men are rotten to just, wait a second, okay, yes, so-and-so might have been corrupt. They might have hurt me, but that does not mean, that doesn't define all men, right? Um, So yeah, those are definitely, a lot of my hurts centered around men, honestly. Um, And even now, getting married soon um definitely walking into my relationship I would say the first year it was still breaking down those lies not that it it wasn't as deep but it's almost like 
I dealt with all the big stuff, but there was still a lot of minor things that would come out. And I just, I'm super thankful that God can use broken people <laughs> um, to bring out sin and other broken people and just help us in the sanctification process, um, which I guess is what marriage is for, is a sanctifice. So you know. I do want to get to that also. Um, but first I was wondering, do you remember like maybe around when you would have said you were saved, what your view of God's goodness was, like kind of your first view, because you probably didn't have the illusion of God is good because my life is good. Mm. So I'm curious what your view of God's goodness yeah. was. <laughs> um, probably around good times and nice things. Okay. Um, yeah. It, also, again, it does kind of tie back to the euphoric um mentality because even pre-adoption I remember um talking to a neighbor kid when I still lived with my birth mom and being so concerned about whether I was going to heaven or hell and so I had such um an awareness that there was a god that there was a heaven and hell and that there was a greater purpose for me and I wanted to grasp hold of it and so I think it was more just like okay, I, I need to do this right because I, I want my life to turn out good and I don't want to go to hell. And so it was just, I mean, I guess yeah. that's religion um, and no relationship. Yeah. Um, but off, also, um, after adoption, I do see God's hand in my life just like having a fascination with God and what it means to actually have a relationship with him. Um, I think it also was an effect of my biological cousins. They were Christians and they would take me to church. And so that rubbed off on me pre-adoption even. And then going into this new home um, with an awareness, okay, there is a God and he is good. But what does that mean? Right. right. When, you, when you're seven, you have no idea. Okay, God's good. But what does that, what does good even mean? Right. <laughs> um, and so I think what it boiled down to is I had to learn about God's sovereignty, right? Because you can't, you really can't say the certain things that you undergo that God's faithfulness abounds unless you understand his sovereignty. And so definitely at 13, when I surrendered to the Lord, I had no idea what, I don't even know if I knew that word existed, but probably 16, 17, 18, just listening to uh, my pastor and my parents and reading books like, okay, so God is sovereign. And yes, this hurt me, but it's all part of his plan. And then I started to see that it can empower other people who've been through the dumps and have been through just these really trialing times and feel like the world is against them and no one can understand. And it's like, actually, I can understand. And guess what? God was there and he can use that to, to you know, beauty from ashes and make you stronger. It just so many reasons. People always ask me, okay, so if you can go back and not walk through that abuse, Mm -hmm. would you? No. That's always my answer. No. Even when I was younger, I just thought that's part of my story. And as every year passes, I think I just learn more and more what it says in scripture about we do overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. There's something about our testimonies that really encourages, it inspires, it strengthens. And um, yeah, God wants us to tell our stories and to grow from them. Mm-hmm. Which is why I'm so thankful you're here. <laughs> Um, so since leaving high school, then what are some ways that God has walked with you through brokenness? So obviously you can look back and see 
when you were 17, 18, mm. God's hand bringing you through that stuff. Yeah. But that just being saved or having a relationship, <clears throat> not a religion, doesn't mean that life is just going to be easy oh, no. from then on out. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just curious if you'd be willing to share some of the ways God has walked with you since then. Yeah. I think um, a little bit I swung. Oh, man. Okay, so after salvation, I swung towards heavy legalism. I mean, <laughs> oh, <there>. my word. <laughs> extreme so embarrassing this i apologize to every person that ever witnessed it but i remember this one time i led a bible study and i required all the girls to have skirts i mean it was just so legalistic um silliness but so i swung towards legalism because i so desperately wanted to do it right yeah you know now that i was totally having my life shift and um these lies be broken down I'm like i have to the rule book the rule book the rule book and god does give us the bible as a rule book but there's also grace and there's also a matter of conviction and it's not like we live to follow the rule book but we live to please jesus and there's a big difference yeah, sure. religion versus relationship um and so i swung towards legalism um and legalism really broke down to me probably i would say 1920 um and what causes breaking down um I actually, I got in a relationship with somebody, um, and at the time, having my philosophy go from men are bad and marriage is terrible, I'll never get married, my philosophy shifted to the chief end of life is marriage. (laughs) Just total (laughs) shift. Chief end of life is marriage. And, um... I just, I wanted to be married and I didn't even know what's the purpose of marriage. And I think Mm. a lot of people walk into marriage, not even thinking about that. They just, oh, I just want that. It will complete me. It'll make me happy. I'll Mm. just, I don't know. I think some people even think I'll just sit at home and make pies and life will be easy. (laughs) No. So I had this philosophy, got in this relationship and um, very quickly saw there were many, many red flags. And he was like, crumpling my little perfect castle I was forming and I'm like no this is supposed to end glorious I'm supposed to ride off into the sunset with my Prince Charming and certain allegations were coming out and uh, I was very um, used physically and I just it was like re-triggering my abuse where like I was being physically um, abused again and just trying to wrestle with like wait a second this is supposed to be good I thought marriage was good god and yet this is happening i knew men only use us that's all men do and so i started like question these new this theology i come to form the past few years and now i'm questioning wait okay so but god i thought you said marriage is good no that's a bunch of belong no way and so i'm questioning everything and so eventually just called out this engagement and of course that's a whole slew of problems now i'm embarrassed i feel like a failure i have some people that side with me and other people that don't believe me um it just was this huge problem and so now having been through this relationship and even walked into some just sexual sin i now was in this place of wow I've been so legalistic and hard-headed and it's so easy to look at somebody and judge when you've never walked through that. And so now on the other side of this broken engagement, I was just humbled. And really, it was almost like, okay, let's just put some duct tape over my mouth for a little bit and I'm just going (laughs) to stop teaching and ranting and just really just like think about what God's trying to teach me and how I was so quick to point out the speck in someone else's eye but not the log in my own. And so... Oh, my word. That was so trialing to a point where I remember 
I was idolizing marriage so much that God stripped away everything. And that sounds terrible when you think about like, man, you go to the lowest low. No one wants to go to the bottom of the pit, right? Everybody wants to be on the high, the mountaintop moments. We live for those. But it's in those moments that we slink down to the bottom that I think God is close, that God teaches, that God is just, okay, that you're Mm -hmm. tender, you're vulnerable, great this is a good time to plan this is a good time um and from then on i just remember really meditating on luke 7 and going okay i have been laying like putting all my eggs in the basket towards marriage but that's not what we're supposed to do i'm supposed to put all of it at the feet of christ and so i thought of luke 7 the woman with the alabaster jar and she literally dumps this oil it's all she has it could have been i mean some theologians say that could have been worth thousands of dollars and she literally just dumps it on jesus's feet and jesus is just so moved and loves this woman for doing this and yet all the pharisees are like what she could have sold it and given the money to the poor what a waste what a foolish woman and yet she was extolled because of surrender and so through that passage i had to see i am trying so hard to please like these quote-unquote pharisees trying to do what's right but i'm just so caught in legalism i'm so caught up in surrendering to these things that are temporary rather than christ um and so i just started this journey of surrender and um it was not always comfortable but it was just like you know i'm gonna step out into the unknown and if i fall down a few times it's okay but surrender it's not meant to be easy i think it's meant to be uncomfortable but it's definitely an act of faith yeah it's it is that part where your flesh is broken down and you realize like what is real about your faith because right. it's god that's doing it <laughs> so true so true um so then how did i want to get to 2020 eventually <laughs> But I do want to know, like, how then God led you to Rodney. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So right before Rodney um, was actually a really rough time in my life because even though I had jumped through the hurdle of seeing, wow, I'm a really legalistic person from the last relationship, there was still legalism in me that needed to be broken. And there was still a little bit of grasping that the chief end of life is marriage. Oh, for sure. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Oh, my word. So I remember being at this point right before Rodney feeling like I got it all figured out. I'm just jiving right now. I'm so sorry to God and loving my singleness, right? I think sometimes we convince ourselves we love being single. And then when you get down to it, you're like, okay, actually, I'm really not content in Christ yet. Let's just try this all over again. (laughs) And so I remember going into the relationship with Rodney and I just instantly pushed. I mean, I kicked it up to the third gear and Poor Rodney is just, whoa, 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 whoa. I just met you. And I'm going, let's get married. You know, I just, cheap end of life is marriage. And um, I think God really extended our relationship a lot longer than I ever imagined I'd be in a relationship because I had one learn, cheap end of life is not marriage. Um, but also there were things in my life that I actually still had some bitterness and, um, struggles in my life going all the way back to pre-adoption that I had never even thought of. Um, Things that, I don't know, I just never wrestled through and I had to push through. And so I having this lengthy relationship was good because initially going into it, I thought, wow, this is great. My prince charming. I'm so happy. It's this utopia season again. And then after that stopped after the honeymoon phase ended 
it was the realization of, oh my word, what if he leaves me? What if he doesn't love me? I'm not good enough right now. These lies are coming to the surface again. And so with these lies coming to the surface, it got to this point where I was in out, in out, in out of this relationship. Not because I'm not loyal, but it was just so many insecurities. And even listening to so many different opinions around me. So I'd break up with him. And then a month later, we're back together for four months. Then we break up again. And it was always me. It was not Ronnie wanting to separate. He was just like, okay, Shamber. I mean, he was so patient. Literally, Rodney is one of the most patient people you'll ever meet. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. On so many levels. And... Um, but it was good. I mean, I, my flesh is, oh, we, we should have been married a year ago. But honestly, God is so good to make me go through these trialing, uncomfortable years with Rodney to see, hey, you are still so much just looking forward to marriage that you're just like, you're not enjoying the present. You're not even fully grasping what I want marriage for. You just, marriage will complete me. And that's not what marriage is about. It's about sanctification. And so, um, no, it's it's been I can fully confidently say the past two and a half years have been a good season of growth. Um, yeah, all my word, all the way, so much growth. <laughs> twenty twenty held lots of ups and downs. Ugh. There was a point in the fall when we talked, and I could just hear the ache in your heart. Um, can you share a little bit of your journey through this year and what that has been like for you spiritually? Oh man, so twenty twenty. Um, Oh my goodness was such a year of exposure um with sin in my life but i also would say it was such a year of growth um my word for 2020 was vanity <laughs> and i feel like that was kind of even a common theme even with churches with how vain maybe we've become um with churches and how god just literally stripped that all away from us now we're at mm-hmm. home and we have to do zoom churches um and so for me personally, it was grasping a hold maybe to my title or even my relationship status, um, things I just valued, again, over Christ. And I think that's a lifelong struggle yeah. of constantly evaluating, okay, am I grasping hold of things right now way too tightly? Um, and you will sh- be faithful to show you when you are. Oh, my goodness. Every time. Every time. When you're surrendered. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, such a journey. And you know what? 2020. Oh, my word. I was an ugly person. I said some things. I did not. I'm like, where did that come from? And there's something that happens when you are going through um, a lockdown and you can only <laughs> see, like, two people and you just say some things. And all of a sudden, this <laughs> ugly side of Shammer comes out that no one wants to see. So, oh, my word. So much of 20. 20 was like ugly but so beautiful because I learned so much it just wasn't an easy <laughs> year. Um, but yeah it was good ultimately um, before we got engaged uh, we had a final breakup and um, it was again my initi- initiating it and Rodney was at this point where he just fully let me go past times it was trying to work through it okay what how can we figure out whose fault it is and at this point um last fall of 2020 it was more just um god telling him to let me go because he felt strongly that god was telling him i needed to grow there was things that i needed to figure out um and i was using ronnie as a crutch 
um, again, living this utopia relationship and being like, life is just so great and perfect. And I can just like cover up my struggles and these things I still need to work through with. Um, and so after the breakup, Oh my word. I felt like my world was crashing down because I was so heavily relying on people pleasing and all the opinions around me um, and people that you should never have left Rodney and then others mm. that are telling me, um, good for you, you need to move on. Oh, hey, date this other person. So many opinions. And I wasn't running to God. I was just running to opinions. Rodney always says I had my board of directors and my board of counselors and I'd go to them and Christ is our counselor. And so that was for sure mistake number one. Uh, but number two is just going through this dark state of rather than falling at Christ's feet because I'm heartbroken and I don't know what to do and I don't know why this is all happening. I went to um, not good company and just trying to get their wise counsel, which wasn't very wise, or just trying to deflect. I'm just deflect, sure. deflect, deflect. And it was a solid mm, two and a half, three months until finally I went, okay, this is not working. This is, I, I'm almost like trying to run away from what God's trying to teach me because it's uncomfortable. And it's it's fasting and prayer time. Like I went all of December. I closed 2020, which I should have started it with this, but I closed 2020 with just praying and fasting. I'm like, okay, God, I am at my wit's end. And um, I'm trying still to just rush into maybe another relationship or run into different friendships or different churches trying to find my fulfillment and this is just not working what do you want me to do and I feel like I got over and over and over again be still and know that I am God and I it just hit ever since I was a kid even going all the way back to pre-adoption it's almost like I busied myself Mm. to to ignore God, right? And God says to be still and know him because when we put aside all the busyness around us, all the opinions, all the entertainment, it's like, wow, I can hear God so clearly, right? And the word of God is living, open. It's like, be quiet. Stop talking, Shiver. Just like, be with me. Stop. And so December and January was just like this theme of being still. Mm -hmm. And God's like, hey, guess what? Remember the word vanity you got for 2020? Yeah, I think you're still holding on to vain things. I'm like, man, goodness gracious, I don't get this theme until the end of 2020. Um, But it was so good. I literally like hid myself away from the world, which was totally not like me. I love people. I love entertainment. I love church functions. I just love people so much. And to pretty much cut myself off except from like two, three people in my life um, was one of the best things ever. Mm. Putting aside all the opinions, this straight word, reading good books, sermons, you name it. It just, it was like restarting. And in that restart, it was like, this is what I should have done two and a half years. This is what I should have done years ago, not even just two and a half years ago at the start of our relationship. This is what was missing is this aspect of realizing wait 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 if something's not right that's where you check yourself you pause everything and you be still um and i remember once i fully was just still all of a sudden ronnie started to appear i'm like whoa 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 god i um 
oh, this is funny. I said, whoa, 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 God, I'm supposed to be single till June. I felt like I had this unction. And I remember I was telling my friend and he goes, mm, don't put time limits on God. I think you're going to be single a lot less than what you think. I know. I think God wants me to be single till June. I'm not thinking about Ronnie. All of a sudden, Ronnie just kept coming up over and over and over again. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm flying out to Arizona to a church function with him and a bunch of other church people. And... Then after that, next thing I know, we're back together and we're engaged. And guess what? My singleness is officially ending in June. <laughs> so I guess God did have, you know, a way of telling me. Just, like, not what I envisioned for singleness. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I had to, man, I had to reach the end of that philosophy that the chief end of my life is marriage. And I think so many ladies in particular struggle with this and and marriage is not a bad thing um god obviously designed us to need a help meet that's why he made eve for adam absolutely don't get me wrong um but originally if you look at adam what was adam doing he was doing the work of god before god was like hmm you need to help me adam wasn't just sitting there twiddling his thumb hey god i need a woman no he was naming animals he was in the garden you know he was working he was being obedient and i think that's where especially young ladies we can get so distracted with just i'm just gonna sit here god's going i just want you to be with me and be obedient and go fulfill the great commission go make disciples go out I think there is a temptation when there's any type of brokenness to Mm. want to make your own world. Mm. And as women, there's that allure of I can make my own world when I have my own husband and my own house and my own family. And I mean, you just realize eventually that you can't. But I think every single woman has that like, well, maybe I can. Yes. Right. (laughs) And like. It is good to realize that before you get married, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you can't make your own utopia and that, yes, that you need to be still and know that he is God. That doesn't mean you just like be still and don't do anything or right. be still and waste your time watching TV. Right. Like, <laughs> like that's an easy way to tune out right. the brokenness is to just tune it out by watching other things or feeling that but he says no be still and know that i've got meditate on his word and that is such a hard command to obey because we want to medicate we want to self-medicate and get the brokenness away and he's like no come to the brokenness where i am and i'll show you such amazing things that you would never get from anything else and it's like you just want to keep running away from the brokenness so i totally understand that aspect of it for sure mm-hmm. of just like he has to break through because it's not going to be me it's right. really never going to be me oh my goodness um so what are some verses you mentioned luke what are some other verses that you've meditated on especially this last year couple months um in the midst of feeling that brokenness i can think of two um psalm 13 6 was a verse that my grandma gave me right as I got adopted, um, and it says, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has dealt bountifully with me. Um, and at the time, I didn't really think anything of it. I wasn't saying, oh, cool, this is a nice little quote my grandma gave me. Um, but looking back, it is so God-ordained that my grandma gave me that verse. One, I do like to sing. But two, that verse expresses that no matter what happens, I'm going to keep singing praises mm. because God is good doesn't matter what I've been through or what I'm going to walk through. Just like Joe, God is still good. I will still bless him. I will still praise his name. Um, the other verse I would say is Isaiah 41 10. Um, do not fear for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will 
help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Um, I found myself definitely um, in this last few months of 2020 and being apart from Rodney, saying that over and over again, um, because I just felt like I was falling apart. Um, just, I mean, even I was having nightmares. It was just crazy season where this is not like me. I thought I'm this strong woman of God. What? No, 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 no. Right. I'm this vulnerable, uh, depraved season where I have to ask other people for help. And I don't like doing that. It's a pride thing. And so, um, going through that verse, God, you're going to uphold me. You're going to strengthen me with your righteous right hand. But I can't do that. So that that's mm-hmm. the beauty of that verse is, yes, God will do that. But it's God that does it. You can't just do it by yourself. And so that verse was so good. Um, even times that I didn't, the unknown was so scary. Do mm-hmm. not fear. God says that, oh my word, so many times in scripture, do not fear. You think that we would get that as humans, but it's like, it's impossible uh, to not, I mean, again, without him, like we can't obey that command. No, it's so, so true. So true. And so, oh my word, that verse is just a punch verse for sure. But those would probably be the two verses I can think of. Okay. So along the lines of singing, what are some songs that you either have been enjoying or songs that you would share with people that are going through seasons of brokenness? Oh, feel free to sing them. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, So there is... Okay, so Maverick City has been just my jam. Um, I really was introduced to it... um, after I broke up with Ronnie in the fall. And what's so funny is after the breakup, Ronnie would message me and I was just so prideful. I wouldn't even want to listen to these songs he'd send me because I'm just mad. I'm just confused. What what in the world's going on? And then once I was really surrendering and fasting, all of a sudden I'm coming across Maverick City. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to share these with somebody. I get back together with Rodney. I start sharing him this music and he's like, Shamber, I sent you that song four months ago. So, um, you're like, yeah, but I like it now. Yeah, I like it now. <laughs> so, oh, uh, so, so good. I don't even know if I had a, have a favorite song um, by them. Um, oh, man. Just so many, so many good songs. But yeah, anything by Maverick City. I'm trying to think. There was another song um, by Ty Trippett. Um, oh, man, I can't even think. Of the song, um, it escapes my mind. But <laughs> so many good ones. Music—it's such a balm for the soul. Now I know why you can just the spam Israelite. me with them later. <laughs> yeah, I'll spam with you with it later. We'll just we'll post all the good stuff. Hey, praise is good for you, especially when you are the depths of despair. Just one hundred percent. Just just still despair. I think those lies that just so easily creep in. It's hard to tell yourself truth or to speak truth or to find time to be still. And I think songs and music is a good step in that direction. Like it can start to speak truth over you. You can start to sing the song with it. And then your mind is not turned on just the lies. It's like, okay, what is the truth in this moment? So that's why I like to ask for songs because I do feel like there is so much good truth in songs that sometimes it's hard to just share. Mm. (laughs) Oh, I got the song. Okay, I remembered it. So by Ty Triffitt, it's called You Waited. And it's a really simple song. I'm I'm a wordy girl. I like hymns. But this particular song, it's just so simple and it's the beauty of even in our sin and depravity, sometimes we're so prideful and we want to take our own path. God does wait or sometimes he goes okay i'm gonna knock you i'm gonna knock you off your horse like paul like come on 
but guess what? I'm not going anywhere because I love you and I, I want you to be sanctified and holy and perfected in me. Um, yeah, God waits and he disciplines those he loves. So, oh my word, that song was like an over and over again, midnight (laughs) hour. I'm just listening to that song. You waited, Tetra Bit. So thank you so much for your authenticity and your willingness to come here late. (laughs) It's been so encouraging to talk to you and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Always Good Podcast. You can find more information about future episodes and the ever-growing Always Good playlist of songs that are recommended by my guests at emilybromwell.wixsite.com slash alwaysgood or on Spotify under Always Good Playlist by Xavier Bromwell.